All right, thank you for joining us in person, joining us online. We're going to be continuing on with our Truth for Living uh, series. And now this is a series that is going to be a module uh, or 12 groups of, of doctrines. And right now we're within the, uh, the study about God's Word, the Bible. And there's 10 catechism questions involved with God's Word in the Bible. And we're um, studying to know that the Bible is the only book that is God's Word to us. And so we started with the first question of what is the Bible? Does anybody remember the answer to this question? What is the Bible? The answer is, the Bible is the only inspired written word of God, above all other books, in wisdom, power, and authority. And the, the verse that went along with that was 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as what it really is the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. The second week, or the second question we went through was, how can we know that the Bible is really the true Word of God? And so the answer is, the Spirit of God helps us know that the Bible is true and that it is the Word of God. And the, que- uh, and the verse that went along with that was 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And last week we went through the question three, how did God give us the Bible? And so we talked about inspiration and what it was that God breathed through his servants God used and moved his men that he chose to use to speak his word. So the answer is God inspired holy men to write down his words exactly as he wanted. And the verse there was 2 Peter 1.21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so that brings us to this next question. What does the Bible teach? Or Sorry. The question is, does the Bible teach any errors or lies? Okay, any? No? Okay. Any, any further explanation that you have for this? Or ideas? Okay. Okay. All right. Yes? The Bible's perfect? Okay. So the answer that the kids will be learning today and that we're learning tonight is no. God's word is true and without error, 
because God tells only the truth. So all three things you said are in this answer. The two things you said and the thing that Gus said. That it's God's word, God doesn't lie, and so it's perfect. And the verse for this question is from Psalm 119, which is a very long acrostic poem of 22 poems that talk all about God's word, written by David. And so the verse 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So, as we heard in this question that God only tells the truth, or in the answer that God only tells the truth, I want to review last week real quick about inspiration, that God's word originates from him himself. And so inspiration is God supernaturally speaking through men by his Holy Spirit. And so we know that because it is from God, it would take inspiring to, to go through common means such as regular people that would write down, as last week it said, write down the word exactly as God wanted it to be written. So the doctrines that we're going to learn tonight through our question about uh, does the Bible include any lies or errors, we're going to talk about something called inerrancy. And we're also going to talk about something called infallibility. So at first, let me define inerrant. And that is without error or falsehood. It is true, or as Gus said, perfect. Let us look into Psalm 119, 160 again and see that it says the sum of your word is truth. And so what is truth? What's, oh, what is the opposite of truth? Well, yeah, it's false. Or if you're going to tell the truth or you're going to tell lies. So the sum or the, the collection of your word is truth. Psalm 19.7, the psalm reads, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. We see that the testimony of the Lord is sure. If you're really sure of something, is there any doubt? Well, being sure is the opposite of of doubting. And so this psalm is saying that the Lord's law, the law of the Lord is perfect or without fault. It is complete. It is not missing anything. It is reviving the soul. And the testimony of the Lord is sure to make the wise, making, making the simple wise. So inerrance is shown and the the word of God shows that the Bible says that it is inerrant. 
And we can also see that Jesus said and proclaimed that the word of God is inerrant. Jesus believed and taught that the Hebrew Bible itself was inerrant. We can see this in some examples, especially when, so when the Pharisees questioned Christ about divorce, he gave them a reference of Genesis, about, about a man and a wife coming together, two becoming one, and that he also was showing and sharing that creation, that man was created in the beginning of time. And so he was saying that it is trustworthy to, to see the creation account. We can see this in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 5. He, being Jesus, said this. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Christ was saying that you've heard it before. It's true. He didn't bring any doubt on the scriptures. He was sure about the testimony of the Lord. Matthew 12, Christ also mentions a prophet and his work. His, his, he used the prophet Jonah to talk about how it was a sign for his death, burial, and resurrection. In Matthew 12, 40 through 41, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Christ was speaking about himself when he said that something greater than Jonah was here. He was using this story that was more than a story. It was an account of a prophet of God that went to Nineveh. But of course, we know the story. He went away. He didn't want to go, and he was inside of a whale for three days. And that might sound like an unbelievable story. It might sound to the world as foolishness. But indeed, Christ was saying that this was true, that this did actually happen, and the men of Nineveh repented. And so the men of Nineveh are witnesses to the people of that day that Christ was on this earth. And he was saying, they too shall repent because someone greater than Jonah is there. And then Christ also used Noah as a, a reference to what was going to happen to the world. And he spoke as it was truth because it is. For just as the First Thessalonians 2 was saying that he accepted it as what it was, the word of God. And of course, Jesus believed that this was indeed the word of God. Luke 17, 26 through 27, 
Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given into marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And so Christ is saying and and affirming that indeed there was a man named Noah, that that he preached to everybody, but they didn't listen, and there was a flood that came, destroying everybody but Noah and his family. And so we can see that Christ is using these scriptures to talk about himself, but also talk about them as what they are, as true fact. He continues on in that, that account in verses 28 to 30. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, there were, they were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on that day when Lot went out of Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And so this is a, a really stark warning. But God, Jesus is using this account from Genesis to say this indeed happened as a foreshadowing of things to come. He spoke about these scriptures, and two of these were directly from Genesis. And one was a a prophet. He spoke as what they were was the word of God and that they were true. They were without error. Peter when talking about Paul, and so f- this is an example for the New Testament, that the New Testament is indeed God's word, and if it is God's word, it will be without error. Peter, in Second Peter 3.16, and count the patience of our Lord no- as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are, too, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant or in, in the unstable twist their own to, to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. And so we can see a few things here. Peter is saying that the wisdom was given to Paul, He's saying and he's proclaiming there's inspiration happening that the Holy Spirit is moving Paul to say these things in his letters. And then he also says, and he compares them to the other scriptures. So he is taking these letters that Paul has written as they are being circulated. This isn't like a doctrine that comes up a hundred years later in some council. This is as Paul is still living and Peter is there. Peter is testifying that Paul's letters indeed are the word of God. And so that is a, a summation of the Bible testifying to itself that it is without error. And so the next doctrine I want to talk about in regards to Scripture is, is infallibility. And so to be infallible, 
there's two aspects of this. One, it will not lead in any false ways. Scripture will not lead us down the wrong path. And two, it will not fail or fade away. We can go back to our, our lesson's key verse, Psalm 119, 160, and it continues on after it says, the sum of your word is truth, and then it says, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So this is talking about infallibility in both ways that I mentioned. That God's righteous rules, and what is it, what is it to be righteous? Our brother Dan has the opposite word. It's a funny word, wrongtious. There's, there's the opposite word would be wrongtious or being with error or, or being um, unholy. So righteous means holy, just, correct, right, in right standing with God. And so God's word, all of his rules or his instruction are righteous. So it's a righteous word that directs us in paths of, of paths of righteousness. And then he continues on in this verse to say, it endures forever. So both aspects of infallibility are told right here in this verse, that the rules are righteous and that it endures forever. We can see in Isaiah 40, verse 8, that a beautiful, beautiful chapter that talks about God's word, but it continues, it says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And this is quoted uh, um, in the New Testament. And so his word endures forever. Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We see that the writer of Psalm 119, as he continues on for over 100 verses about the word and 20, 22 stanzas about the word, he says, how will a young man keep his ways pure? And in this same um, stanza of Beth, he says that I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. So we know that by hiding this God's word, by reading the word of God, that that's going to keep us, that's sowing into the, f to the spirit, keeping us from sin. And that's what Jesus was praying for us in the high priestly prayer. And this is a very, uh, most, a lot of people have memorized this. And this is within the chapter that it contains the high priestly prayer where Jesus prays to the Father that the Father would glorify him as he glorifies the Father and that he would also keep the disciples from the world. And the way in which the disciples are kept from the world is by being sanctified by the truth. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So this is the same concept that we just read in Psalm 119, 11, that 
having the word of God in our heart sanctifies us that we may not sin against God. So with knowing that the scriptures are uh, from God himself and that it is him speaking and saying what he wants to say, and we know that God does not lie, we can see that there is a trustworthiness of the word of God. We know that God's word is inspired. We talked about this last week, that through his breathing, through his servants, God speaks. So we know who's speaking from the question, or the answer from the question, because God tells only the truth. So we know that God's word is God speaking to us, and it is inspired. We know that God's word is inerrant or without error. There's nothing false in it. It's not like um, Christ was speaking about something that didn't happen when he talked about creation or he talked about the flood or he talked about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. These things truly happened. Whether or not we have scientists that will say, oh, we, we believe this or not, some people bring question to the truthfulness of Scripture. But we can know and rest assured that God's word is trustworthy, that we can trust it because it is from him, inspired from him, and that it is without error. It is also infallible. God's word is infallible. It is without falsity or falsehood, and it is without um, in that it will endure forever, that it's not going to fade away. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 through 17 speaks about, I believe, all three of these aspects. Paul writes to Timothy, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof and for correction, and for the training of, in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We can see that breathed out by God, the word of God is inspired. We can see that because it is all scripture and breathed out by God, it is without error in that it is because it's profitable for training in righteousness. It can't something that is not righteous or perfect can't lead us in the ways of learning to be perfect or righteous in the sight of God. And it is also profitable, meaning that it is beneficial to the building up of the saints for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete or perfect equipped for every good work. And so we can see that God's inerrance, or the inerrancy of Scripture and the infallibility of Scripture is shown here in this verse. And again, to review with the, the Psalm 119-160, that is the key verse for this lesson. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules 
endures forever. That the whole counsel of God is inerrant. And the whole counsel of God is infallible. In the Westminster, I, I searched the catechisms, I searched the Westminster Shorter, the Heidelberg, and the New City Catechism, but I was not really able to find an appropriate question for this, but I did find one in Westminster's larger catechism. And I think that the reason for this is this has been a recent problem or a recent question that men are now questioning the reliability of Scripture. In the days past, there wasn't too much, you know, the church didn't question or, or even bat an eyelash at whether or not the Word of God was true. The church just accepted that. It was without saying. And so catechisms are used to correct falsities. They're falsehoods. They're correcting uh, misunderstandings and false doctrine. So in the Westminster Larger Catechism, question four, how doth it appear that scriptures are the word of God? How do we know that the scriptures are from God? And the answer, it's a long one, so bear with me. The scriptures manifest themselves to be the word of God by their majesty and purity, by the consent of all the parts in the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, by their light and power to convince and convert sinners, to comfort and to build up believers unto salvation. But, but here, is, here is the main way that we know that the scriptures are the word of God. But the Spirit of God, bearing witness by and with the scriptures in the heart of man, is alone able to fully persuade it that, that they are the very word of God. That it takes the Spirit of God to testify to us that this indeed is the word of God. And it also, the, his spirit also gives us understanding. We see in John 16, verse 13, when Christ is speaking about the coming helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, he says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and you will he will declare it to you, the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit will come and guide us in truth. You remember when Christ was with them, with the disciples after his resurrection, he breathed on them. He explained to them that the Torah, the prophets in the writings, he explained everything in them that pointed to him, that must have been accomplished. The prophecies and the foreshadowings. He breathed on them and gave them understanding. And so by his spirit, by God's breath, he gives us understanding. 
in John 8, Christ is speaking to the Jews who believe. This whole chapter, um, Christ talks about, uh, talks to people about whether or not they are true believers. But he was saying specifically to the Jews who had believed in him. He says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Abiding in the word, not only just reading it daily, but keeping it daily, seeking it out daily, hiding in our heart that we may not sin against God, we then will become truly God's disciples. And we will know the truth. The Spirit will give us the truth. We will know the truth. And the truth will set us free. Back to our question for the day. Does the Bible teach any errors or lies? We can look at this question and we can wonder why would anybody even ask such a thing? But it is a commonplace where people want to come and and deconstruct, or they come and question, or they say that Genesis 1 is a poem that is an allegory. People want to say, well, this is unbelievable, so this just must be a story for, to, to tell us, tell, make a point. But we know that we can trust, especially we can trust that God himself that manifested in the flesh, Jesus Christ, testifies that the word of God is sure and that it endures forever. So the answer, of course, is no. A hard no. God's word is true without error because God only tells the truth. God does not lie. God is truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth to proclaim the word of God that anything that came out of his mouth was directly from the Father, just as the Holy Spirit would come and speak, and anything would come out of his mouth or come from the Holy Spirit is directly from the Father. That they didn't speak on their own authority, but they spoke on the authority of Father God. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are a God of truth, that in you there is no lies, that in you... The truth remains. And if something is good and perfect and true, it will last forever. And Lord, you are the, the eternal God. You will reign forever over us. Lord, your word endures forever. The things seen are temporal, but your word is eternal. Lord, we thank you that you, the great God of this universe, this creator, have come to us giving you, giving us your word, that we may come to know you, that we may know your statutes, that we will know what you are saying to us. We thank you for moving men, imperfect men, by your perfect spirit, that we would have these words, and we know that we can rest assured we can stand firm in the faith, knowing, thus saith the Lord. I pray that you would 
Build our faith as we search your word more and more. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom. I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us in person. Thank you for joining us online. We'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you.